is Anastasia. And this is Lauren. Welcome to Wait to Panic, a podcast where two friends take turns trying to scare one another shitless. This week, it's Lauren's turn. Yeah, my turn. Want to talk about something happy first? I kind of want to know one happy thing from the week before we start talking about terrible things. Oh, absolutely. That should be like a mainstay. Yes. Just tell me one happy thing. Tell me one happy thing. Uh, well, first off, we got a... I'll give you two happy things. Yes. I got smart and remembered that a radio, when you're kennel training a puppy to sleep at night, <laughs> radios, they're king. Oh, yes. Because, uh, yeah, ever since we put a radio in here with him, he has been so much better about not barking for an hour every night. And I'm sure our neighbors appreciate us. Because, yeah, barking puppy at 1 a.m. is not something anyone wants to listen to. No. You got a puppy since last episode. I did. I did. Well, no, because Alpine was here last week. Was Alpine here last week? I don't think we highlighted it. No, no, that was in our, like, in-between segment. That's right, in our chats. Yeah. Stacia got a puppy. His name is Alpine. He's adorable. At least thus far, his name is Alpine. Yeah, I think we're going to stick with it. it just it It's kind of like when you get a horse and you just feels weird changing their name on them. It just feels like it's bad luck for some reason. I'm going to be honest. The phrase, it's kind of like when you get a horse, is like the bougiest thing you've ever said. It is. It is. But there's, there's like this weird superstition that if you change your horse's name, that it's bad luck. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but that's why Forrest is still Forrest. It does fit him. He is a big goofball, but it, it's not a name I would have picked. Yeah, I think we're just going to stick with Alpine, and we're going to have a dog nicknamed Al. Eh, he's your Al pal. Just roll with it. So far, <laughs> his nickname for me is mostly Puppy Boy, so. Oh, that's a good nickname. Yeah. I mean, it's usually yelled right as he comes and collapses on top of me, but... At least he's cute. That's the best way for a puppy boy to be something. Mm-hmm. So. so what's the other thing then? Oh, I got to see Forrest. Oh, yeah. Forrest. And, and I, Forrest the horse. I got, I got horse cuddles. So that was nice. And he got his CBD yeah. pellets. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. What about you? I was not prepared for my own question. <laughs> You probably saw it in my eyes as you were wrapping I up. did. <laughs> the, the sheer moment of panic of, oh shit. <laughs> like, oh wait, no. It's, it's not my turn yet. <laughs> you know, it's like when you're in school and the teacher says we're going to go around in a circle and we're all going to share this one detail <laughs> and you're just frantically trying to come up with something. To where you don't hear anyone else's details because you're too busy rehearsing it in your head. Yeah, so you don't sound like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Um... Uh, okay, I have one. I have one. So this morning, I finished my longest run with Coda. Nice. That's exciting. Yeah. How far did you make so it? We, we did four and a half miles Ooh. this morning, which is quite a bit. Fr- it was walking and running, to be fair. But, like, I'm counting it as a run because some portions were a run. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was four-ish miles without being tripped. Yeah, because no tripping. that's usually what happens to me is the dog trips me. There were some squirrels, but she moved away from the squirrels really quickly and was a good little listener. It was awesome. And she's very sleepy now. Except for not wanting to go in her kennel. 
I mean, other than that, but that's just because there's other sounds outside and she knows if she barks at them for a moment and goes to her bed now that she can get a cookie. This is part of the problem. The moment we implement anything that includes T-R-E-A-T-S, she then gets real smart and starts duplicating the behavior. Yeah, that, that only is beneficial if it's positive behavior. Yep. 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 But yeah. That's, that'll be my happy thing for the day. We did a nice long run this morning. Nice. That That is a good thing. And you survived the pollen because that is just destroying my sinuses right now. Do you not wear a mask outside? Because it helps. Also allergy pills. Yeah, I, I do the allergy meds, but I pretty much wear a mask if I'm, you know, in a place where there's other people. Because other than that, it just feels like a tiny toddler is trying to smother me. <laughs> so okay what kind of mask do you have cloth does it have like the filter stuff yeah okay. well it does help with allergies if you can wear it around the trees as well as the people yeah luckily there aren't really any people out where we go but yeah but there are trees, there are trees everywhere and they are trying to make babies inside my nose and we don't plant enough female trees, because that's a thing I learned, is that right. trees have gender, apparently. They do. Yep. And female trees absorb pollen from male trees, and we only plant male trees. Well, that's dumb. What? <laughs> hmm. I think it depends on the breeds of the tree the species. I don't know. The type of tree. But even still. Um, okay, so back to my story. So I... I had tried, a, and this is probably going to be the same thing I say every week, I had a few different stories, and I was like pretty set on trying to do a stalker story this week, and I don't remember what we talked about that involved stalkers that made it stick in my head, but I know we talked about something. And after multiple stories later of a few different stalkers, I decided that was a massive bummer, and... I didn't want to read any more about people hiding in people's attics and then murdering them because there's a shocking number of those oh, situations yeah. that happen. Yeah, or like they like hide in the one I read recently is like there's a guy hiding underneath, uh, I think it was this lady's bed, and he was actually like uh, charging his phone down there, and for some reason <gasps> that made it so much more creepy. It was just knowing he was just down there like charging his phone for like three days. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that kind of adds a little bit of humor to it for me. Like, okay, I've got to be real quiet. This person can't know I'm down here. But got to get those tweets in. Right. I know. Got to look at Facebook. Like, it's funny. I need to check the NASDAQ right now. But it's real creepy still. Oh, it's super creepy. Um. So, yeah. So, I, I decided that I was going to do instead. It's kind of a twist on what we normally do. Um is rather than highlighting a story about true crime, I am going to highlight a resource for survivors of true crime. That's a good so, one. Today we are talking about, um, make sure I say it correctly, take back the night slash reclaim the night. Okay. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay. So Take Back the Night slash Reclaim the Night um, is a charity where they provide support to victims of violence and abuse, 
mostly sexual and domestic abuse and mainly towards women. Um, specifically trying to, like the, the name says, like take back the night, reclaim the night. We should be able to go out at night and feel safe. Yeah. Well, and especially that seems like it's something that's really fitting right now where people are stuck at home and at least from what I've read, there have been an uptick in domestic violence charges. And, and unfortunately a lot of people like, because we're all in quarantine right now, like we, if you are in a situation like that, a lot of people are just stuck there. Right. Like you can't, you can't leave. Where would you move to? Yeah. Um, So I, I wanted to just highlight a resource and give some more detail on what this organization does, how you can get connected, and then tell some of their survivor stories that they have on their website. So those I will read at the end, and they will just be word for word what is written down, because I don't want to skew any survivor stories. Um, But first, we'll start with some of the history of the organization. So Take Back the Night started originally as Reclaim the Night, It was a movement that started in Leeds in 1977 as part of the Women's Liberation Movement. So Leeds, England, Um, in case everyone probably knows that, but just to make sure. Um, So it, the Women's Liberation Movement was essentially marches demanding that women be able to move throughout public spaces um, within England. And it was basically brought on because the police response to the Yorkshire Ripper was telling women to stay home. He's on my list. Of course he is, because he's a massive bummer. He really is. <laughs> Holy cow, he, he really was. Um, so basically, the, these amazing women decided, you know what? Screw the Yorkshire Ripper. Screw the police that are telling me to stay home. Men should have curfews instead of women. And went to the streets and protested for their right to have safe passage through their town at any hour. Had a girl. It's a pretty freaking awesome women. Yeah. Just all of them. Um, so, and that was organized by the Leeds Revolutionary Feminist Group. And it, in turn, continued to inspire more marches and events in Germany, um, multiple different countries america here in the u.s um there is a little bit of controversy around the original origins because some of the some of the groups and events do allow male participation and some don't and there there has been some back and forth on whether or not that um diminishes the value like diminishes the impact that domestic violence has on male victims. So there's been a lot of talk of whether or not men should or should not be allowed. Um, But the, the entire intent is to emphasize the importance of women being able to come together and call out violence and rape and be able to be in public spaces safely. Gotcha. Yeah. So, born of that was the Take Back the Night organization. That's just takebackthenight.org if anyone wants to visit their website. Um, Not the same as the Justin Timberlake song. If you, that's. Oh, come on. Apparently, he. he, 
I mean, I don't know the song. Do you know the song? I don't, but I, I was never a huge Justin Timberlake person. Yeah, no, me either. I tended towards Frank Sinatra. Look at us old people. I know, we're so old. Oh, goodness. 30 is just ancient now, isn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> I've been this way since I was 10. Um, yeah, so Take Back the Night was developed based off of the Reclaim the Night. It ties its origins back to that Leeds protest, um, but it tends to have more of a U.S. What is the word I'm looking for? Perspective, a U.S. perspective. So the first Take Back the Night um, event was a protest in San Francisco against pornography in 1978, yes. Um, Specifically snuff pornography and and wanting to make sure that violent and snuff pornography was not allowed. I was going to say, that's that's the kind where they die. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or at least pretend to die, one of the right. two. Um, I, I hope it's pretend to die, not actually die in those situations. But I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, protesting snuff pornography. Um, and then another... Was, oh, sorry, that was not the first. That was 1978. There was another in 1975 held in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, after the murder of a microbiologist, Susan Alexander Spieth. She was stabbed to death a block from her house while she was walking home one night. Oh, geez. The term Take Back the Night was used as the title of a 1977 memorial read by Anne Pride at an anti-violence rally in Pittsburgh. So that's that's where the name really came from, rather than Reclaim the Night. Like, that's where the, the name was from, is Anne Pride's memorial. And Anne Pride was a um, now activist and publisher, so she... Which now is the National Organization for Women. It is still active now. (laughs) (laughs) And it it is another wonderful resource. So she used the term Take Back the Night. Um, I'm trying to find the actual thing. I'm going to probably have to cut out all this rambly, 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 ramble. Ramble, ramble, ramble. Oh, come on. It really shows who we are. Just, I mean, we're prepared, but it's a little haphazard. Some of it should be shared, not 100%. Party pooper. Uh, Yes, because I want listeners. (laughs) Okay, I'm giving up on finding. I had a quote from her, but I'm not going to find it. So essentially, not essentially, in general, events uh, for Take Back the Night are highly popularized on campuses. Um, So I have a few quotes from a Harvard paper that is Harvard's accounts of having Take Back the Night um, that I will read in a little bit. But typically the events consist of like a rally or some kind of speech and connection um, as well as vigils for victims of violence and taking space to remember them and give credence to their... Why are you making so many faces? You were blank. Better? 
Yeah. yeah. No, Blake's been borrowing my chair since he's been working from home. So, like, it's all just a little bit off. Oh, I see. So I see. It's, I see. it's just me readjusting. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not okay. having a, a moment over here. It, it looked like you were having some kind of epiphany about uh, no. rallies. No. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't remember where I was, so I'm starting at the beginning again. You were talking about Harvard uh-huh. and rallies and their take on it. Okay. So Take Back the Night events are, are generally built up of a few different pieces. Um. One, there's usually a rally. Two, there's usually some kind of a march. And three, there's a time of quiet and or memoriam to remember victims of violence. So those are the three general factors you will see if you decide to take part in a Take Back the Night event. Um, they are very popular among college campuses and getting... You realize now we kind of have to go to one at some point, right? I was already planning okay, on it. Okay, good. Yeah, like that. That was the plan. Good. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm sure. See, I will not triangulate our position. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, I'm sure our city has them. In some capacity. Um. At least at some of. Yes, I'm not going to try and yell at myself even more. Like, it's so hard. Man, I just want to say all the words that would tell people where we are at. Wow, we are the ramble monsters today. (laughs) So a lot of the early marches for Take Back the Night were deliberately female only to symbolize women's, like, walk through darkness and to demonstrate um, that together we can get through this scary world. Um present day they generally include men and it it differs by who is organizing the event but in general so this is a slight differentiation from reclaim the night and the original leads organization it's that we do want to include not we take back the night does include men in a lot of their um events and they specifically want to make sure that like male allies and sexual assault survivors are being recognized and able to have part in the camaraderie and the support that is provided by these events. Um, a lot of places such as like, I'm going to butcher this, Wesleyan University in Connecticut allow men to participate um, not only by supporting, but also by sharing their experiences with sexual assault and other forms of domestic violence. So really giving them a platform to demonstrate like, yes, this is, it's not only a women's issue, it is also a men's issue. And we are here to talk about it and share, which I think is just wonderful because it it brings back some of the humanity to the gender struggle that has been going on. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not just a, a one side of the gender issue. Um, that being said, I do have some statistics that we will talk about a little later on that can tell people how big of an issue this really is both for men and women um and hopefully we'll persuade some people to take part in more of these supportive events so originally the term take back the night the word night um was uh, like intended to literally express fear that many women feel traveling at night 
like really literally and now it's just come to in general symbolize fear of violence and the struggle that a lot of people feel walking through a world where they don't have the support that they need um so it really helps incorporate other concerns such as like domestic violence sexual abuse um and wraps it all up into a nice present rather than being very focused. So it, it lets us cover a bunch of topics and lets the events be much more um, accessible. Sorry, I keep flipping it up because I keep coughing today and I'm trying to minimize the amount that you're going to have to edit out. Well, then I'm going to get you some cough drops. Uh. <laughs> Mental does wonders. Since I found the little button that lets me click things, so like it's so much easier. Um, yeah, but I don't want you to yeah. hate me seven episodes in, so. <laughs> no, I won't hate you. We've lasted, oh man, 12 years? Yeah, true. 13 years. Yeah. We met senior year yeah, 13 true. years. We've lasted 13 years. True. We'll be fine. All right, fair enough. I'll cough away <laughs> then. <laughs> Besides, you already bought a new microphone. It's temporary. Yeah, touche. I can, fair point. If there is a deadline, I can work on the deadline. Fair point. <laughs> Um, so today, if you want to take part in a Take Back the Night event, you can find them in basically anywhere, college campuses, metropolitan areas, small towns, military bases, high schools, um, internationally. So there have been documented events in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Bermuda, Canada, Italy, Poland, Hungary, India, Germany, and England. I just have, and probably more, written down. That's um, a pretty good list right there, though. Right? That's it's a, a bunch. I love list. it. Yeah. Um, so, a lot... So, I'm going to read straight up Wikipedia real quick. Um, the common purpose is to advocate for the right of everyone to feel safe from violence. Women are often told to be extra careful and take precautions when going out at night. In some parts of the world, even today, women are not allowed out at night. So, when women struggle for freedom, we must start at the beginning by fighting for freedom of movement, which we have not had and do not now have. We must recognize that freedom of movement is a, pre is a precondition for anything else. It comes before freedom of speech in importance because without it, freedom of speech cannot in fact exist. And that is from The Night in Danger by Andrea Dworkin, Dwar uh, Dworkin and uh, is on the Wikipedia site, and I found it very persuasive. Yeah. And both horrifying and helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So, to give a few statistics around that quote and kind of prove out how true it really is um i'm i'm gonna just read a bunch of domestic violence facts off of the ncadv.org that sounds cheerful that sounds cheerful already it's the national statistics domestic violence website, which makes me really so. sad that something like that like again same with like the endangered children yeah like it makes me sad that something like that even is a thing but the yeah. world's a terrible place sometimes. Yeah. It, it like It's a really cool resource if you want to really understand what's going on like in your state. It has a view state-by-state -state statistics. It has national statistics. Um, 
So we are looking at the national domestic violence statistics for the United States. And we're just going to list off some horrifying things to get some reactions. Okay. So sexual assault statistics. Um, one in five women and one in 59 men in the United States is raped during his or her lifetime or their lifetime. Nine, yeah. <laughs> 9.4% of women in the United States experience intimate partner sexual assault in their lifetimes. I don't really know how that's different from rape other than specifying that it is rape by an intimate partner. So that's that's what I'm assuming is happening there, that they're specifying who the attacker is versus it being rape or not rape. Yeah, I, I would imagine um, that's kind of like the difference between like your spouse, partner, whatever you want to call it. Versus, versus like a stranger or, or family a member friend or, or friend. Like yeah. Um, stalking. 19.3 million women and 5.1 million men in the United States have been stalked in there. Well, you got the stalker fact in there at least. Couldn't get away from it. I got the stalker fact in there. <laughs> I got around to this through all of my digging uh, is what it came down to. As I was like, people who have been stalked statistics. Oh, crap. Wait. No. Oh, all of this is bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a bunch of people get stopped. A bunch of people. 66.2% uh, of female stalking victims reported stalking by a current or former intimate partner. partner. Mm. Uh, so it's not even just, like, I, I think this is one of the really important things to take away is, like, it's not strangers. It's normally who you know. Like, sometimes it's strangers, but... 66% of females are being stalked by current or former partners. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense because they're yeah. usually people who already know your habits, your daily mm -hmm. routines. I mean, it's so much easier and so much less effort for them to... And you broke up for a yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, but it's just so much less work for them to get information on you because they already know it. They're already a part of your life at one point. Homicide rates. Cheerful. One in three female murder victims and one in 20 male murder victims are killed by their intimate partners. A study of intimate partner homicides found 20% of victims were family members or friends of the abused partner, neighbors, persons who intervened, law enforcement responders, or bystanders. 72% of all murder suicides are perpetrated by intimate partners. That sounds about right. And 94% of murder-suicide victims are female. Yeah, again, sounds about right. Yeah. Okay, physical and mental effects. Victims of intimate partner violence are at increased risk of contracting HIV or other STIs due to forced intercourse and or prolonged exposure to stress. Intimate partner victimization is correlated with a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. And only 34% of people who are injured by intimate partners receive medical care for their injuries. That's sad. Yeah. It's... It, I mean, it's... You know that some of that is due to the economic gap within... Oh, yeah, absolutely. ...racial classes, and it's just... Absolutely heartbreaking to me yeah. that there, there are that many people that have been hurt that are 
either not able with their social situation or their medical situation or whatever their situation, they're not able to receive help. Right. And are just sitting there struggling alone. So that this is again why I wanted to really highlight like Take Back the Night is there to help provide resources and to try and hook you up with the right people to get you some help. Yeah. Um economic effects. They really cover everything. Yeah, that's, in this that's pretty comprehensive so far. It's pretty good. I'm quite happy with this website. I mean, sad but uh, good. Sad but useful. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Useful. Um, victims victims of intimate partner violence lose a total of 8 million days of paid work each year, the equivalent of 32,000 full-time jobs. Hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. So that's a lot of people that are being attacked and then incapable of working. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, intimate partner violence is estimated to cost the U.S. economy between $5.8 billion and $12.6 billion annually, up to 0.125% of the national gross domestic product. Wow. Between 21 to 60% of victims of intimate partner violence lose their jobs due to reasons stemming from the abuse. And between 2003 and 2008, 142 women were murdered in their workplace by former or current intimate partners. This amounts to 22% of workplace homicides among women. That is much higher than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are our statistics. Um, They're pretty harrowing. And I, I think there's not enough of a focus on what it tends to get brushed under the rug a lot right like it's i have i have friends that i grew up with since i was eight years old that will swear until the cows come home that rape culture is not a thing and that very regularly what they say like i like i have told i am thinking of one specific friend right now that i am not going to name um that Again, I I grew up with, we knew each other since we were seven and eight, respectively, and I would try and talk to him about some of these things that are in the news and, like, personal experiences that I have had, and his response is, oh, that's not rape culture. You should try going to Africa. That's rape culture. You should try going to Iran. That's rape culture. We don't have that here. It's nowhere near as bad as those places. That means we don't have it. Yeah, but it's not like it's a sliding scale. It is what it is. It's not a sliding scale. This is another thing. I have run into so many women that are ashamed to talk about what they have experienced because it's not as bad as someone else. Violence is violence. And trauma is trauma. We don't compare traumas. Each trauma is equal. Each trauma is 100%. And... If you have suffered trauma and violence, it does, like, I don't care what someone else has experienced. It doesn't matter. If you have been hurt, you have been hurt. Right. That's, that's just. And it doesn't matter if it's physical or emotional. It, it doesn't matter. Like, hurt is hurt, and it needs to be respected, and everyone deserves a place to talk about it where they feel comfortable opening up. Yeah. Like, um, and from my standpoint of it, like, I will give my work full credit. It took 
me longer than I care to admit to come forward, but once I did and I said, you know, the straw has broken the camel's back, this is what's going on, and all the way up to the top of my management chain, as hard as it was, was there for me. And not one of them yes. ever said, I don't believe you. So that, that is amazing. We're both going to start crying. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have put tissues next to me. Um, I unfortunately did not have that response when I, I have had a few different experiences throughout my life, both with um, past partners, uh, friends, well, former friends and um, former coworkers. And my, my coworker experience, unfortunately, when I went in, the response that I got was, hey, we want to give him another chance and we want you to sign off on it. Oh, absolutely As I was not. reporting, as I was reporting the issue and that sh if someone has done that to you, please don't like comment on this podcast and I will talk to you because that is not something, a position that anyone should have to be put in. And that's, and that is not on you to have to make that call. And that's not something that your HR should ever support. No. And if they are, there's a huge problem. And it, or your friends, like if some, if you are friends with someone, you tell someone about something like this and they're like, oh, well, they're a pretty good person. What about their future? Again, I will gladly talk to you. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. And because no, that's not okay. Yeah. Well, and that was another thing that surprised me with mine is like, again, I work with mostly middle-aged guys. And even though they had all known him much longer they knew me not one of them was even remotely in his defense every single one of them was like I can't believe he did that I'm so sorry and if I ever see him I will beat the shit out of him and so weirdly refreshing as terrible as the <laughs> whole situation was that was not the response I was expecting at all from 90% of them Yeah. So on that, uh, I think I'm going to skip the Harvard stories because those were just articles more about them having events. And yeah. I, I think that we should read some stories, survivor statements. I agree. So, so we're going to read some statements. Do I need tissues? You, uh, you should probably have tissues. Do you, do you want to go grab tissues? I, I said do we need tissues? But I don't actually have any, so I'm just... <laughs> just inside of the right. cuff. That's where right. it's at. Just... just inside of the sweater cuff, inside of the collar. <laughs> just not... Smear it around your not face. Not the shirt. Okay. <laughs> Use the hair, maybe. Right. Got plenty of it. Um, okay, so I'm not going to be able to read all of them, because there are 19 pages of survivor stories. Um... And it's, it is just a, a lot. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go through and just kind of randomly pick a few. Um, I've read through a lot, but I didn't find any that I felt stood out more than the other. So I, I'm just going to do it a little bit at random. Um, so the first one we have is 48 years old in Nashville, Tennessee. These are all anonymous. Uh, so we can't share 
names, but you can go back and find the story on takebackthenight.org if you want to reread or if something really speaks to you. Um, So 48 years old in Nashville, Tennessee, we shatter silence, let the story be heard by clicking share. That, That is the header you will see on all of them. So... I'm sorry for this Anastasia. It's okay. <laughs> I was first molested by a neighborhood bully at the age of 10. And then from age 14 to 27, I was molested by a family member. In my late 30s, I was raped by someone who I was sleeping with. I'm not proud of it, but I wanted his friend to touch me and, and I didn't. But he wanted his friends to touch me and I didn't want that. After his friend left, I wanted nothing. But he started touching me, and I said no, and he wouldn't stop, and I froze up. Last year, I was raped again by somebody else. I already told him no. I wanted nothing more from him, but he still came over and raped me. He pinned me against my bedroom wall and kept telling, and I kept telling him he was much, telling him no. He was much stronger than I was. He locked my bedroom door and wouldn't let me leave. I told him I didn't want to get hurt, but he said nothing. He then pushed my back to the bed and pinned me down on the bed and I kept telling him no and then I told him to go fuck his fucking wife, which was his girlfriend he was living with. He acted as though he didn't hear me nor did he care and still raped me after I kept telling him no. Eventually I froze up, didn't cry, nothing. He even almost choked me but did stop after he realized I struggled to breathe, even apologized for the near choking. That was nice, though. Uh-huh. I'm gonna skip down to the end because this one's actually very long, goes very detailed, and I don't want to like trigger people too much. Um, at the very end, it just says, "No means no. I did not deserve that." So that's that's the first and one. And to be fair, no one ever does. No one ever does. If anyone tries to tell you that you deserve something like this or you deserve violence of some kind. No. No, you did not. Okay. Um, This one is a poem by 33 years old in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We both know all the truth I can tell. I can't forget. My mind won't let me. I'm reminded when I least expect it. I can close my eyes and it's like I'm there. And I'm still that scared little girl. Back of the car, whispering to your friend, was this your plan? You were so overpowering, I froze. This isn't how I imagined it to be, but I let this go. I was only 14. We were drinking. I couldn't even stand. You picked me up and threw me over your shoulders. Next thing I knew, I was face down, the room spinning. I didn't say yes. I couldn't. What you tried was wrong. I will not let that almost be my last time. I would not even let that be a memory for so long. I was only 15. Because I loved you, I let it go and time moved forward. We were so, we were arguing. I said, no, I didn't want to. You backed me into the corner. I was crying, but you made me do it. You were wrong. Others saw my tears that night, but I protected you and didn't speak up because I loved you. I let it go and time moved forward. It wasn't a good night. We were arguing, we were disconnecting. I sat on the floor and hugged my knees. I said, no, I didn't want to. You pushed me with force, my head hit the door. I grabbed my head and sobbed. You took what you wanted. I turned my head as far away and stared at the doorway. 
I wanted someone to come through it and stop it. Saying no wasn't enough. I wanted to scream. Instead, I cried and froze. You were wrong in what you did. I was only 16. As if nothing happened, you still wanted things I didn't. You got angry and told me to get the fuck out. I felt so alone. I still could not speak up. You told me you loved me. You tricked me to still get what you wanted. You left me scared and alone in the middle of the night. I walked home in the dark alone and vulnerable. It was finally over, I thought. Time went on. I moved on with someone new. But then you saw me. You grabbed me inappropriately. I turned and pushed you away. You grabbed me again below the waist and this time pulled me towards you. I wasn't yours. I never was. You were wrong. I was only 17. Oh my goodness, this keeps going. <laughs> I'm very deliberately not looking at you, Anastasia, because I, I can feel the crying. Um, because I loved you, I let you live your life without consequence. My life was forever changed. It's not over for me. I don't hate you, but I don't forgive you. A decade later, you let my voice be heard. From this, I felt a strength I've never known. I said everything I wanted to say and pleaded with tears in my eyes for you to never do this to anyone else. You said you loved me and that you were sorry. You validated me and this helped. But the pain stays. The tears still ow. As I think that might mean flow. As I become a distant memory for you, your actions can never be undone. We both know the truth. Those scars will forever be with me. Those nights haunt me with ashbacks, flashbacks. You have the power. You have the control. You took my ability to say no to and to have control over my own body. I can't get that back. I am a victim. This has shaped who I am. This has impact on my presence and future. But I am strong. I can endure. But I can't forget. Rape is forever. I want to forgive you someday. But 17 years later, I'm still not ready. Some things only God can forgive. And I think the thing that always kills me is just the amount of manipulation is just really heartbreaking. Yeah. It's like, this is, it's not about sex. Like it's no, not, it's, it's not about entirely sex. about it, controlling it is, someone. It's, it's about power. It's about controlling someone. And it's about taking the humanity away from someone and, choosing how they feel and how they behave and I mm, yeah yep yeah okay 22 years old in Whittier California when I I was when I was 15 my virginity was taken from someone who claimed to be my friend he was two years older than me I had never drank before so I didn't know that 10 shots of tequila would do the trick I don't remember much else from that day other than waking up, having someone sitting there staring at me, wondering if I was breathing. He told me that I let him. How was I capable of that? He took advantage, and to this day, I have such horrible memories of my first time being taken from me. Yeah, I don't think anyone, unless your liver is absolutely pickled, can do <laughs> 10 shots of tequila at that age. I mean, I can't do 10 shots of tequila at twice that age. No, I can't even do two shots. No, I, I just can't do shots. I that too. Period. Like, I, I just can't. 
Okay. 16 year olds old in Wichita, Kansas. When I was 12, I was in a relationship. One night he wanted to have oral sex. I wasn't ready for that. He then left me with a scar and some bruises and took my virginity by rape. Oh, okay. 13 years old in Rapid River, Michigan. I don't know why, but, like, well, I know why, but the younger they are, the more it hurts. So, thir- so the, the years that I'm saying at the beginning is the year that they wrote it. Oh, no. Yeah. When I was six years old, we lived in an apartment in Escanaba, Michigan, and our neighbors seemed nice at first. In our second year there, the youngest girl from their family decided to play a game with me. She made me do things that I didn't want to do. She would touch me and other things like that, but the thing is that I didn't tell anybody until two years ago. It was a stupid thing not to say anything, but I was scared. I just wanted to say that if anybody is going through the same thing I was going through, tell someone, speak up before it is too late. See, and this always makes me think, do you remember, like, your neighbor down the road? Oh, it does. It makes me think of her, too. Yeah. So, when I was growing up, I had a neighbor that we... I, I don't remember her name. Um, I remember her brother's name, but I, I don't remember hers. Yeah, so so we'll unfortunately not share that, but that we'll, we'll go with the theme of the, the format that Take Back the Night does. She was about eight years old, and she would regularly make jokes about wanting to suck boys' penises like lollipops. And I, being... 10 years old didn't really yeah there was no what that none meant. of us connected the dots like it, it i had no idea and i really wish that i would have known um they they then later moved away while their father was out to sea so we think that it was potentially looking back um paternal abuse of the daughter but it's all speculation. We we have no facts, and I have never heard from them since they suddenly moved away. Yeah, I always just assumed it was it was their form of witness protection. They moved when he couldn't. Yeah, that's be back. My best yeah. guess. Um. Yeah, yeah. So we'll add her story here. I don't know if she's ever told it, but it was very concerning (laughs) Uh, even at 10 years old like I knew something wasn't right Right. with what was happening there so 17 years old in Felton California I was attending an all expenses paid camp for civics literacy my dream is to study political science in college and this was my chance to get prepared it was an honor that is until I met Daniel He sexually assaulted me on the last night of the camp when we had a graduation ceremony and discussed our futures. I got home. I felt numb. He never spoke to me that morning when we left. He knew what he did. He got away with it. The DA's office didn't believe me. The DA told my mom that she thought I made it up because I didn't want to tell my boyfriend I cheated on him. If she only knew. 
believe victims. <laughs> no one is... Like, even, even if you don't think they're telling the truth or you don't believe that's something that could have happened, I would so much rather believe the one person who might be telling a lie than automatically assume that everyone who could be telling the truth is lying. I'm trying to find the exact estimate. Um, um, oh, hey, Snopes.com. <laughs> Are 99% of rape allegations absolutely fabricated? Snopes.com. <laughs> False. Thank you. Um, a 2017 study utilized FBI data over the five-year period from 2006 to 2010 to conclude that approximately 5% of allegations of rape were deemed false or baseless during that time period. 95% in that instance? Accurate. It's an A-plus, kids. Again, even if you don't think it's true, just it's, it's, it's not your place to say if it's a lie or not. Like, what's it going to hurt by looking into it? What's it right. going to hurt? You might waste some time. You might not. Okay. Let's find, let's find one more, I think. I'm not sure where we're at on time. You know, I know you said you didn't want to do stalkers because it was too much <laughs> of a downer, but... This is at least, like, it's a resource. It's, it's a helpful downer, it's a but it's... It's a helpful yeah, downer. Yeah, it's, it's still a hard one. Yeah. Um, well, especially since, and I, I truly believe this, I think every female out there right now has experienced something. Oh, absolutely. If, if there is someone that has not experienced anything, you are a unicorn. Please stay that way. Hide in a bubble. Stay in quarantine forever. And also, message us, because we, we want to know about that. That would be great. <laughs> um, but it's it's so rare, and the fact that it's rare is heartbreaking. It should not yeah. be rare. Yeah, that shouldn't be like a, a one in a million thing to have an incident-free life. Hey everyone, it's Anastasia. If you have a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Wait to Panic Podcast or email us at Wait to Panic Podcast at gmail.com. Have a great day.